Welcome to Short Fine Legs, the greatest cricket podcast in the world. Now, we don't officially know that, that it's just a projection, but at the time of recording, we're still waiting on the results from a few key states. But as far as we're concerned, we are claiming victory and the results in, we are the greatest cricket podcast in the world. And claiming this landmark triumph is me, Daniel Gallen, and once again joining me, not as a running mate, per se, but more along the lines of a co-consul of the ancient Roman Republic, is Lions all-rounder Nono Pongolo. Nons, can you confirm what CNN and Fox News have both said, that Short Fine Legs is in fact the greatest podcast in the world? <laughs> uh, but uh, I think we're sitting on about 253 electoral votes at the moment, so not too far away from that... Um, 270 we, we're gunning for, so fingers crossed. The wave is coming. <laughs> it's a massive blue wave coming. I heard we're, I heard we're very, very popular with, um, with white women. And, uh... <laughs> Please, where are you going with this? <laughs> we, we, we got him. We got it. We're very popular. They're our demographic. <laughs> okay, listen, let's move away. Let's move away from that before I say something really dumb. Yeah. Please. Uh, let's address the elephant in the room, though, that almost everyone on social media is talking about. Obviously, the thing that we've been alluding to. What is up with Aiden Markram stepping on his stumps? Oh, did he? Uh, oh, did I, you not see that? I missed, I definitely missed that one. I was too focused in our game. I actually hardly followed the other games. Um, so yeah, what uh, was the fast bowler? I hope must no, no spinner. He was him and Dean were were, try, were trying to see out the uh, maybe even day one, and he he went back and he trod on his stunts, but he made a good forty in the second innings. And of yeah. course, I'm joking. You know, Aiden is absolute class and a retired legend of South African cricket. Uh, he was in, of course involved in a win with the Titans, who chased down a pretty hefty target against the Cobras in Cape Town. Nons, your Lions teammates were not as successful against the Dolphins. Talk us through what happened with that nine-wicket defeat in Derbs. Yeah, um, definitely wasn't a great tour to um, the KZN. Um, I think we probably our past two previous um, games, we played in Maritzburg the last time around. We also, um, it was that um, 185, I think it was, from Timber Bavuma um, mm. to get himself back in the, in the test side. And to a similar similar result again in, in Durban. So I wouldn't say the Lions' uh, visits to KZN are always, are always good. It was an unfortunate um, trial by spin. Didn't necessarily um, play that well. And i um, got to give respect to Keshav Maharaj and Subhan for being really quality um, spinners and made the difference. And, um, yeah, I think there's also... An upcoming, an upcoming seamer that um, I think we should all um, be um, wary of. Um, he's done, he's done well moving from the Knights and um, moving to Dolphins. He played a, had a, a fantastic game. I don't know why somehow uh, my, his name has slipped my mind just as I'm about to say that. But um, yeah, it was um, a, a good Bartman. start. Bartman, yes. He's moved from SWD 
all the way to the Knights and um, a great start for him um, playing in, in his debut game for 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 the Dolphins. So, yeah, I think he definitely set it up in the first innings, bowled really well, economical, taking some crucial wickets and, um, and set it up um, really nicely for them. And again, you can't take away what um, that massive stand, I think it was over 300 between... Um, That's right. Um, Sarrell and um, Keegan Peterson as well on debut, 199 and I think 177. So yeah, um, they really did set up the game, and I don't. It really became difficult for the for 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 our side to come back. And um, yeah, again, I've spin played a, a massive role in the second inning. So yeah, um, I think if you're going to be going to Durban, be ready to play spin. They are looking to uh, make it difficult for any touring side um, um, in playing those um, conditions. And I think um, as much as we have prepared as, as best as we could during the off-season, I don't think we were um, as good as we could have been playing against um, really good spinners. Hmm. Now, you didn't play. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, but I'm curious, what's it like being involved in a cricket squad but not part of the match 11 when your team is struggling. I mean, do you, do you feel a sense of frustration that like, if only you could go out there and you could change things. I mean, do you, I, I assume you're not sitting there, you know, the way I, I used to when I was an under 11, having gone out <laughs> as opening batsman and, and look at my buddies struggling against spinners and be like, Oh, well, if only I was playing, I would be smacking these oaks for six, ignoring the fact that I went out about 30 overs earlier. Yeah. Um, but but what is it like? I mean, it, is it a sense of helplessness? It's actually, I mean, it's. I think in our team, it's you. I mean, we want to be involved and help as much as we can. We pride ourselves in adding value to the side, even though you're not obviously playing uh, for starters. Um, you want to be really good. Um, it, it it was really hot. Um, trying to help them with drinks, getting them extra stuff that they're not. They're not. I mean, we're getting them. Milo's, you're getting them fruits, whatever that they might need in that time. That's for starters. And I think as a player, I mean, it's it's important that you do your work as much as you can. I mean, I germed, I bowled, I batted, did a lot of running as well. So sometimes one might say you do a lot of work because you're not playing, because you need to show the staff that um, that you are yeah. actually, you know, um, keen and you, you, you are putting the work. Because, uh, I mean, the bowlers might go in there and bowl 23 overs in a day. And you need to obviously making sure that you keep up with your loads that you, you are doing. And if it does happen that your next game, you are you, are, you, you need to play, you are ready. So it's it's your opportunity that to work with the staff. It's it's nice that you can do a lot of one-on-one work, work with the bowling coach, work with the bat, uh, the batting coach. And, of course, you your, your fitness trainer, you do a lot of work with them as well. So we, at the Lions, we do we do a lot of work away from, um, as, as 12th and 13th men. So it's not just a, a game where you're chilling and, and, and doing nothing. But um, it is, from a playing point of view, it is frustrating not to be able to um, obviously assist your team or help your team in different scenarios. You'll have certain guys or opposition okay, obviously come to you and say, listen, dude, these conditions would have been perfect for you, things like that. And when you hear that, it kind of is frustrating. Um, but, mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing you can do with selection. The selection is what the management and the, the selectors would um, sort out and you have to respect whatever team they come up with and you try to be ready for the, whenever that uh, next opportunity may arise. Mm-hmm. I guess taking the ego out, you know, we, we, yeah. we talk so often about, about yeah. ego in, in elite athletes and, 
you need an ego to be an elite athlete, right? You, if you if you're staring down at a guy who's bowling 140 kilometers an hour, or you you bowling to a guy who's on 150 not out, you have to have some sort of ego about you. Otherwise, you've lost the battle already. So, how how difficult is it being like being in an industry where ego fuels so much of what you do, but now having to park the ego when you're not involved in the, in the match eleven? I mean, is, it, does do those sort of two ideologies chafe against each other? Um, it's, it's, it's funny enough, I, I've been having this conversation with people and, and asking them, I feel like South Africans tend to not use their egos enough. I mean, I look at, I'm a fan of KP as a cricketer. Um, KP and as a Kevin Peterson. Kevin Peterson, yeah. <laughs> and um, to, to have achieved what he had achieved in, in England um, after leaving South Africa, you needed to have something about you to not care about what anyone else is saying and to, to prove people wrong. And I feel like when, I mean, uh, I shared a change room with Chris Gale and uh, Malusi Sabota would say he shared a, a change room with Andre Russell. And there's something about the West Indians that they just have so much belief in themselves. Some people might call it arrogance or big egos, whatever. But I just like that personality about them that, you know, they – they know that they are good. And I feel like as South Africans, we could do a little bit more of that because I feel we've got so much talent. Um, mm -hmm. Somehow we do feel that we need to hide it because we don't want to come across as an arrogant person. And I feel that that kind of takes away on, of who you are. So what? Um, to be able to achieve that level of success that A.B. de Villis has achieved, you needed to have that little bit extra. And I remember what probably 10 years ago, he came out and said he wants to be the best batter in the world. And and he did that. And I mean, I'm, I sat back and I was like, how amazing is that that a South African could mm. come out and actually tell the world that, um, you know, we love playing the underdog role and I wish we could get, you know, that uh, put our chest out a little bit more and actually sh showcase who we are. And so from, from, from that, I'll say, um, you know, ego is... It's probably underplayed um, a lot in South Africa because I mean we like being the, the underdog, but I wish I wish we could show it a lot, a lot more. Um, be like the the Australians sometimes, who you know um, always shoulders out and chest out, and you know and and they do back it up at the end. I don't know if I did answer your question though, but um, that's just how I feel. <laughs> I I agree I agree with that, and you know one one could look at the the great chokes of South African cricket and. You know, I'm, I'm using chokes and air quotes because I, I don't think all of them were. But yeah, you do wonder if, if there was a bit more swagger, a bit more cockiness. Yeah. And you can say what you want about Graham Smith, and a lot of people don't like him as a cricketer. But that man strode the cricket world like a colossus. You know, he was like, he he almost grabbed the African cricket by the scruff of its neck and said, "You are coming with me." You know, because yeah. I I know where I'm going. Are, are yeah. you are you coming with? Whether you like it or not, I'm I'm going to take you with me. Yeah. But we're not here to chat about ego, or at least that's not the theme of this, <laughs> of this show. We chatted to Niels Momberg, who is in charge of youth and junior cricket in South Africa. He is essentially responsible for the pipeline. Now, we had some technical issues, which meant we had to cut our, our conversation slightly short. Uh, but Nons, you, you had an interesting question, and it's such a shame we, we, we couldn't get your, his answer to it, because I think it's something that a lot of cricket fans would, would love to know. So... Why don't you pretend like you are Niels <laughs> as well as Nons? So ask yourself the question and then answer it from the way that that that, uh, 
that you think he would have maybe answered it and maybe we can start kind of start the dialogue that way yeah i mean uh, I, i've always been fascinated to see what's happening on the other side. I mean, I'm talking about rugby and football, what they're doing. And I've always had this question that, you know, your cricketers and your rugby players have a similar path. They all come, most of them, uh, let me put it that way, rather, come from private schools. And, mm. and, and if we rely on our private system to be the sole producers of our cricketers, I mean, we know that if you had to look through the protest side, you find that, I mean, Kajiso Rabada, Temba Bavuma, uh, most of your guys come from your private, your private schools, or some guys might come from your, um, you know, semi-private schools, um, which are, are, are well run and which have become also household um, names in South African um, sports. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, what what is CSA doing to in order to expand um, from just relying on, you know, these private schools to produce players? I know we've gone into um, um, RPCs, which is um, now they, they've got these hubs, um, which is supposed to uh, breach the gap a little bit in terms of producing cricketers, especially um, um, cricketers of colour, to be able to to come through. And we know the difficulties of producing black batters in South Africa. And I I'm always I do always have a question mark in terms of can those systems be able to produce the, your likes of Timber Bavuma um, like it's done in, in, in our private schools. Hmm. And what's interesting for me is that, you know, South African cricket is is on this driver for producing more black cricketers. Yeah. Um, as we know, black and black Africans. I think, you know, if if if, they, if cricket South Africa is going to distinguish between black Africans and just the blanket term black, including yeah. colors and Indians, then then we should do the same. Yeah. Um, but like you say, the best paved path to a professional contract in South Africa is still through a private school or, or a school like Kez or yes. uh, I believe Pretoria Boys isn't private, but yeah. but is you know it's it's one of these big model C or boys schools. Mm. Uh, I've got a question for you. You're from Lunga, correct? Yes, 100%. originally. Yeah. But you went to Bishops, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you are you are almost the embodiment of, of, of this conundrum that cricket in South Africa finds itself in. You you you're proudly Lunga and you and you um, certainly identify from the region, but you 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 are the product yes. as much at a of an elite an elite an elite one of the elite schools in South African sports. Yeah. What, yeah. What's, what's your thoughts on that? Um, Dan, for starters, I, I, I'll. I'll say without Langa Cricket Club and where I went to school and the programs that we had Kualanga um, back then, that definitely mm. shaped my love for the game and for mm. sports. I mean, I played all sorts of sport growing up. So it started there. I, 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 no one could ever take that away from me. And mm. Bishops, the, the, the opportunity to go to Bishops definitely came from that upbringing that I already had. So um, they definitely go... Um, hand in hand, and you you can't um, take them apart. And what uh, bishops helped me was my development as a person, as a cricketer, and everything else that I mean. We in these schools, um, um, you know, give um, to to a young to a young kid in South Africa. So I was lucky to obviously. If, with that background, and it obviously married with um, all the, 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 the education and the sport and the other cultural stuff. But I think what's, what's different now, I think, I mean, we, uh, I get worried about is that, I mean, I, I will tell you that I was, um, I'm still not the most talented guy to ever come through uh, from Langa. 
there were other other guys that definitely um, could have had opportunities to go to these schools and never uh, became the cricketers that they could have been. And that, for me, is the origination of my concerns when I talk about the system and why I think we can do better. And so that it's not just focused around the private schools. Because um, when I look at the system, you, you know, it's I, I was lucky. Someone somewhere thought I was good enough to be able to go to bishops. And if we can, you know, a, um, enable other um, township kids to have these opportunities, um, maybe not to go to a private school where there's a system where they can still stay where they are and be able to develop. Um, one of the ways is obviously reviving public schools and sports in South Africa, which is a, a massive concern when I look around in our country, how sport is not even part of day-to-day uh, -day, um, uh, life of, of any kid. And, and that is something that I'm looking into and see how we can improve and, and better that. And I feel if that's going again, um, South African sport can start to pick up and start finding these gems that have been missed. I think that's that's what the sad reality what's happening in our country at the moment is that we're missing out on on your mampimpis, if I can use um, the rugby, what's happened, what happened in rugby. Um, you know, he's a World Cup winner now and who would have thought, you know, 10 years ago or something like that. So there are a lot of talented yeah, young black kids and it's just a matter of finding programs, um, a system that can enable them to to be able to play this game and uh, and and what what's crazy about cricket? I mean, I talk about is that how life changing it could be. I mean, for me, my life changed because of of the game and the the opportunities that I have today is cause of that game and that's what drives me. And if we can create that for other kids. Can you imagine what we could create in our country? And I think, you know, we've never had an issue with talent. And that's what's always, like, amazes me is that there's always talent. It's just a matter of us finding finding um, all these talented kids and, and giving them a, a, an opportunity to play the game. Mm. I mean, it's almost like one of the success stories of South Africa and the country as a whole is how a, a black middle class is, is emerging now. Yeah. Um, and not even just the middle class, but but almost like an, an upper middle class. You know, Kakiso Rabada is probably the best example. You know, his his family, when his dad's a neuroscientist and his mom's a successful lawyer, he went to St. Stidians, not on a not on a bursary. His, his parents could afford to send him there. Um, but the more, we, the, the, the more racially represented these, these schools become, the more racially representative our, our national team will become. But that yeah. doesn't then address the problem of, yeah. of getting a guy from Lunga or, or Kailisha or, or, or Soweto, wherever it is, and, and allowing him to stay there and go to school there and then graduate and become a pro tier. Because as, as when St. David's becomes more black, when Kezgup becomes more black, when Bishop's becomes more black, well, then you'll have a... a a conveyor belt of, of, of black talent, yeah. but it doesn't address the class imbalance that, that still exists. And I understand that in South Africa, class and race are linked, but if but in terms of the very narrow view of, of through cricket, the, the gap will widen between race and class, and, and and will address a racial issue, but but the class issue will 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 perennially be a problem. But before me and you rattle on <laughs> too much longer, let's actually get to the guy who's responsible for this. Now we we chatted to Niels about coronavirus and, and how it's impacted his job. But we also chatted about some other stuff. Uh, so without any further delay, here is our conversation with Niels Momberg. 
Niels, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We have gathered on this Friday evening to chat about the impact the coronavirus has had on South African cricket's most important pipeline, schools cricket. But before we get into that, I understand that you've had quite a busy day today. Why don't you tell us what you've been up to today? <laughs> we, we've actually, uh, try and give you the short version, but we've actually in the last two weeks, we, we got going on our, on our high performance or talent acceleration program where we had a, a national under-17 camp, um, one for the inland boys up in Pretoria and one down here in Port Elizabeth for the coastal boys. And believe it or not, um, the camp, the coastal boys, that was last week, and one of the boys tested positive for the coronavirus. And because of that, he was in contact with four others. So we had to pull him, pull them, five of them out. So basically, myself and the coach Shukri Conrad and our bowling consultant Rory Kleinfeld actually came down just to see um, the five guys that couldn't come last week because of the virus uh, or because they were in contact with Corona. Just to 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 be fair to them, to to have a look at them and take them through, you know, give the message. And 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 we had some nets at Grey High School this this afternoon and t- tomorrow morning uh, again. So basically, so we had a we had two camps and then a. Another little camp to to get the other guys uh, who were exposed to the virus to to, to be on board as well. Right, a little a little COVID camp. Well, that's interesting because we we yeah, we had a chat youth cricket on the coronavirus and specifically uh, specifically, but of course we're not limited to that. So, but before we stray too far into the long grass, let's just stay on point here. How has the pandemic and its pitfalls shaped the way you've been able to do your job? Obviously, you've just touched on this little mini COVID camp, but throughout the course of, of, of lockdown and, and, and when things were, were looking quite grim, how was your job impacted? No, it's, it's been massive um, because of the an hour winter in South Africa, which is basically your May to October period. Um, we have a quite a long uh, winter break. Uh, June, July, three-week holiday, and we do a lot of our high-performance camps during that period, and it all had to be cancelled. Um, so basically, we work in two-year cycles. Um, we're working towards the next uh, under-19 World Cup in 2022. That'll be in the West Indies. So basically, that all came to a stop. Nothing happened. Um, uh, so look, it was winter, so the schools cricket wasn't going to take place anyway. Um, but, you know, we do a lot of courses, um, preparation for the season, and it all came to an halt. I mean, in, as you know, South Africa, were we we were under severe lockdown. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the stuff that we did was, was online. We had, we had webinars and um, some courses took place, but that's basically, um, that's what we did. Um, and to take it further, um, because of that, all our national tournaments, um, six of them that's just for the boys and obviously your girls tournaments as well that usually take place in December um, that all got cancelled this year so it's 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 been it's it's been quite a it's been quite severe I mean there's been no cricket whatsoever um, till about I would say 10 weeks ago when you know as we started going through the various levels of lockdown you know the first level that the boys or the people were allowed is, was to do some one-on-ones then we moved to groups of five and about three or four weeks ago we obviously under the COVID regulations um, 
we were we or cricket south africa with government we we started to allow um practice sessions for 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 bigger groups yeah right and obviously covid of course hasn't just impacted cricket around the world i mean people have lost their jobs businesses have closed economies are tanking um Coaching, I mean, it's, it's such a vital component of development. And, and as we touched on, youth cricket is one of the major pipelines for the proteas, both the men and the women. Have you heard anecdotally, at least, or, 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 or even got some evidence that the pandemic might have impacted one's ability to tra- not just train, but, but their interest in cricket? You know, parents being un- unable to pay for coaching, kids not getting um, equipment. Economically, what do you think the long-term impact of, of the coronavirus will be in if not only ushering people into the game, but also keeping them in the game and, and, and maintaining their interest in it? Look, I, th- I think in the short term, there's, there's going to be quite a big impact. Um, as you said, I mean, I, I probably will speak only in anecdotal terms, but we, we've heard that um, some of the other sports, for example, tennis and, and golf in particular, um, they were allowed to, to to start a little bit earlier because it's it's you know it's one on one and it's not in groups, um, and and there is a fear, and I mean obviously we haven't done any real studies around it, but there is a fear that that especially this generation boys would have that would have taken up cricket would maybe uh, maybe have taken up golf or or football or other sports that they were allowed to play so i think in the short term the, the sport will take a knock um there's no doubt from a business point of view um just in my area i've got a i've got i've got a son age 17 that plays um and obviously you know you acquire equipment and kit and you have people that knock the bats in and you know smaller companies you know uh, you know that they're smaller businesses and and in my direct contact with some of those suppliers um they were struggling um they were laying people off um because obviously if you don't play cricket bats don't break and don't need to get fixed or knocked in uh, and so forth so um yeah so it's I, th- I think it was quite grim um but once but I, th- I think now that, that things can start and I've also heard um, that the turnovers are starting to look better because at some levels cricket are, are starting to take place again um, but you know in South Africa it's a you know we we're such an the our society is so you know we, between the rich and the poor um, and that's my fear as well especially in our township areas where we have different development programs at which we call some high performance centers and, and cricket hubs um, I mean those 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 program hasn't started going yet um, and it, it it looks it will probably only start going in the new year um, if, if, if if the COVID impact stays the same so I think I think um, you know, to put it bluntly, it's 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 definitely in the short term. I, I think in the long term, it always it always pick up again. But in the short term, the the game has has definitely taken a knock at 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 grassroots level. Nils, um, it's Nono here. Um, um, it's really good to have you and actually talk about what's um, actually been um, happening behind the scenes. And I think it, you've got a you've got a quite an important role there, which uh, I don't think we. We, we speak a lot in this sport-loving nation of ours, especially with cricket. And I want to ask you, I mean, just for starters, where we are with regards to um, the impact of, uh, like you said, in the short term, 
um, or as cricket is still not being back, you one would have thought that it's, it's kind of one of those perfect games for social distancing. I mean, uh, there's not a lot of close contact. And the fact that, as you've just mentioned there, we're only still coming back in January. Has there been a, a, a bigger push to the government maybe to get the, go, uh, the game going? Um, you've mentioned a lot of tournaments already being pushed back. Uh, we're not going to have a Coke Week, for example, this year, which is a great shame for this um, this year's class um, of 2020. Has there been a, maybe a push from CSA to get the government on board and try to get the game, maybe like England did, um, getting club cricket going, things like that? No, look, I mean, obviously, we Cricket South Africa had like a COVID committee or still has a COVID committee that operates. And I mean, I wasn't myself sitting on that committee, but we were we prepared a lot of documents um, and protocols to to, to get the game going and obviously that gets shared with government I mean there has been a big push um, there, there, there is a view or Cricket South Africa I don't think it's a view that's a Cricket South Africa has also taken the stance is that in modern day cricket at all levels um, there, there's some period of preparation getting in shape getting your body ready to play and I know there was a particular fear to, to just to start playing cricket the day after the, 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 the it was allowed would have would have put kids at risk um, and it's also there was some there were some costly implications to 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 get all the facilities ready with with the necessary um, protocols hand sanitizers masks um, you know in South Africa we also have a problem where um, Nona you you would be well aware is that because of the cost of equipment um, kit the, the players or kids share, share equipment and I mean that was a health risk as well so that that was all in the mix um, and as I think this for Daniel as well as things st- stand right now cricket is allowed to be played um, but the actual leagues um, will not start before January but we we what we in a phase that we probably now if you, at the lack of a better word we we now in pre-season so we basically in November we are in pre-season where we would have been in September in, in a normal year. Um, so basically schools can play, um, but they've, they've, it, it won't be part of normal leagues. It, w- it would be seen as a, as a preparation for, 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 the, for the new, I mean, for the season that, that starts in, in, in January. Um, when, the, when the tournaments got, got cancelled, I, th- I don't think there was a, actually there was a turning back because it's part, it's part of, it's, it, there's a lengthy program of trials and preparation um, for, for, for these national tournaments. And, and, and as you said, it's a, it's a massive shame because it's not, it's not just the tournaments itself. It's, it's how you get to a particular side. There's, a, there's trial matches, there's preparation that all obviously fell by the wayside. So, yeah, to answer your question, there was a push um, to, 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 towards government. But I mean, we, I mean, my understanding was in reading all the documents and the government gazettes, we were never really going to be allowed to play any any form of cricket before before we hit level one. If, and, and that was our understanding from the beginning. Just one final coronavirus question from us before we quite necessarily deviate away from it and, and head towards some more positive stuff. Um, look, we, the three of us make, our, make a living in cricket in our own ways, but I think we can, we can agree that it, it's, it's a slightly indulgent thing. You know, we're not curing cancer, we're not, we're not building literal bridges, but do you envisage a scenario where, where kids 
well, less kids might pursue their cricket ambitions now, given the economic repercussions of the pandemic. I mean, my children in university or, or, or leaving school think that, you know, they best get a real job, quote unquote, real job, rather than take the gamble on cricket because a cricket career is just too risky in these times. Is that for me or no, no? Maybe Nona should answer that. <laughs> well, Nona's is thirty. He's 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 uh, he's putting all his eggs in that basket. <laughs> no, Nona's Nona's got many degrees, and I think he's got many options. So I think he's all right. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I I I, I I'm I'm and and again I'm maybe maybe gonna say I'm guessing, but I, I don't I don't think I don't think I don't think so. I don't think it's gonna be. I th- I think cricket is probably a high risk career choice anyway because of all the all all the factors that you know form selection quirks and whatever else so i i don't, I don't think so i i you know some might think that but i mean i don't think it's just cricket that'll be impacted i think all kinds of other op- um, job um uh, lines or whatever um i mean there's there's um, and i'm sure there's well we know there are that there, there are people has lost their jobs and certain jobs doesn't exist at the moment because of COVID, so yeah. cricket will always be seen as an option. Um, to be honest with you, uh, as I said, I've got a kid as well. I would, I wouldn't advise somebody to say, "Well, you want to be a cricket player," because I mean, it's it's a t- it's a very tough environment to get into um, because there's so many, there's so little yeah. opportunities. There's so many, you know, there's only only so many professional contracts, and it's not as if there's. 30, 40 new ones every year. You got to wait for people to lose form or retire, and there's only only so many gaps that go open every year anyway. So I don't think, uh, yeah, in the short term, um, it might have an impact, but in, in the long term, I don't think it will really have an impact of, of the amount of people that have the the, the dream or the uh, yeah the dream to, to to play professional cricket one day. Um, I actually like that you you are talking about um, this um, pipeline subject, Nils, because. I mean, as someone who's already part of the the system and uh, definitely been um, a fan of maybe expanding our franchise system so that, um, like you said, there could be more opportunities or for other young upcoming players to get opportunities. And not only that, I mean, it, it allows the national coach to have a wider pool of players that he can select from. I mean, uh, I look at our franchise system, it's only six teams and max 20 players per per franchise. And um, I mean, in England, they've got about what eighteen to about twenty counties. Um, you know, that's it's 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 a, a massive pool of players that um, England will always look um, look at. Um, and I mean, in South Africa, we there's been a talk of us moving to twelve. Um, I mean, is there something that really concerns you as someone who's in charge of the pipeline that the um, Players from the age groups under 19s don't get um, those opportunities to showcase their talent. I'm from a, originally from a smaller province, and I've always been, and I'm, this is my personal view. I've always been in the of the opinion that that we, we need more we, we need more teams. Um, and you know, you would know there's the Richardson, as in Dave Richardson um, Commission at the moment that's looking into the South African system, and I know that there are there are certain recommendations on the table um, and I have and I do believe that they are looking at more teams I'm not sure if it's going to be more provincial teams or or more franchises 
Um, but there's no doubt. And, and, and also, I think with Brexit, a lot of the South Africans that do play, that that had callback status, yeah. um, will now lose that. And they will lose that opportunity. I mean, I think some of them might might get overseas status uh, at the counties. But I think a lot of players will be... Is forced the right word? Will be forced to come back and play in the South African system. So, and there's some very good players. If you yeah, think, yeah. I, mean, I think, you know, it's. I have to say this. I always laugh when people say the South African system is this and the South African we don't produce players. But if you look at some of the players <laughs> and how they dominate county cricket, if you if you if you look, Stian van Sale, um, Simon Armour, Carl Abbott, uh, Ricardo Vasconcelos. Um, I was actually I sat I had a long chat this afternoon again to Rory Glenfeld who, who, who captained Northlands not too long ago and, and and a lot of those guys that are still playing are, are going to come back in our system which if we stay with the six sides there will even be there will even be less um, players or spots available for the under 19s to, to, to come through and into the system so I'm personally of the view that we we either need at least two more franchises or we need to strengthen our, our provincial setup and have more teams um, at that level. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree with you. I know you you probably won't fully commit to that. Um, I understand. Um, I think I mean there there has been mention of different numbers in terms of teams um, being twelve, uh, possibly eight, and um, I think somewhere in between you probably find that there there is a, a perfect number. I think to grow our system. I think we. we what we've seen, I think we do have the talent. I 100% agree with you there. I think um, uh, it probably will be time for people in administration, I think, to to go towards. I know there's always talk of money and things like that. Um, I do, um, which I 100% agree with. It's something that you always have to consider. Um, I, I, on a lighter note, Nils, I mean, I know we've asked you some serious questions here. And um, uh, I, I want to ask you, I mean, as someone who's in charge of the pipeline development in South Africa, which I know is a huge role. I mean, what is what is success in your eyes? I mean, in, in, in the role that you have and especially with transformation in mind as well in South Africa? Look, I've been involved on and off at various levels, but if I if I if I go back from 2008, where I've been in charge of our high performers at a 19 level as well. And the golf balls has, has shifted continuously. Um, in 2014, South Africa won the Under-19 World Cup. Um, Ray Jennings was the coach. Um, Aidan Markram was the captain. Kakisha Rabada was in that side. Uh, Andile uh, Peshlekwai was in that side. So it's interesting when you say, what is success? Um, and I know might get in trouble if, if if my bosses hear me say this, but I've never thought that the, the South African and the 19 side, uh, their win rate at World Cup should be that important. For me, a lot of people, Nona, you will know because you're on the ground and you play, and it's a lot of people, our previous SN19 coach was Lawrence Martlani, and he got a lot of flack because his win rate, say compared to Ray Jennings, was... Ray Jennings had a win rate between 75 and 85%. I mean, we, in, in that period, I remember going on tours, England couldn't beat us. We, um, and then Lawrence's win rate was below 40%. And, and he, he is deemed as an unsuccessful coach by sit, in certain quarters. 
I don't agree with that. If if you look if you look in the period from 2014 to 2020, which is this year, the amount of players that he has produced or the system has produced under him or under our programs that actually leads to the SNR-19s, if you look at the amount of um, black African cricketers that's been produced during this period, I think we've made significant strides. Um, if you just look at numbers, if you look at... It's not necessarily that evident at the in the Proteus side yet, but if you look at players that's played S under 19 and are starting to become very good first-class cricketers and batsmen as well, which is a problem, um, naming guys top of my head right now, Wandile Makwetu, who has captained the Knights as a young cricketer, um, Sene Pasile, uh, who plays for the Warriors, um, so, just for example, where, where if you look at the, the raw numbers, guys that are starting to come through as, bef- as pre-2014, um, I mean, that's how I would uh, measure success, is, is, is players that come through, play first-class cricket, play successfully, and obviously from a transformation point of view, black cricketers come through and, and, and play successfully and, and are ready to play. And, 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 and the, the opportunities that, that was created since 2014 to now, compared to before 2014, I think um, it, it's been significant. So that's how I would measure success. Um, it's players that, that move from the under-19 or the pipeline into the first-class setup, um, not just playing, but also playing successfully. Yeah, no, I couldn't, uh, couldn't agree more, Niels. Um, listen, we could chat, as we say this with every guest, really, we could chat for hours about this. I mean, Nons, I know you feel uh, really passionate about this, and, and Niels, we've had great chats for articles in the past, but we do, the, the short fine legs is more akin to a, a T20 than a test match. Uh, we, we, we're building ourselves up to, uh, to that one day, but... Uh, in the meantime, Niels, I think we can cut that there. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us on this Friday evening. Um, we had some technical difficulties earlier, but we, you know, like the good uh, bowler charging up the hill and into the breeze, we got through our spell, and uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Pleasure, Daniel. We'll, let's do it again. That's our show. Thanks once again to PRC Podcast for hosting us. Thanks again to you, the listener. If you enjoy the content and if, you, if you've made it this far, I'm guessing that you do, please do leave us a comment, write to us, let us know, rate us on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, just show us love in whichever way you'd like to show us love. We appreciate it in all shapes and forms. And while you're showing us some love, why don't you show Nons some love? Nons, you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram, where can our listeners catch you? Still, that's um, NZP10. Um, that's on Twitter. Um, yeah, we, we're there. We're waiting for you guys to, to chat with us and um, get this uh, following um, going. I think um, we've, we've been good. We've been good. And uh, we hope that you guys at least have been enjoying our, our chats as well. That's it. That's it. And uh, I'm on Daniel Gallen. If you want to send me anything, I'll spin a yarn as best I can. If you want to just get in touch with the pod, we are at short underscore fine underscore legs on Twitter. Once again, thanks to POC Podcasts. We'll catch you next week. Yeah, this will be
Tuesday. Short, fine legs.